0: let you know that I'm not feeling well today, so it's a fair warning if you wanted to come up and say hello to me after service or shake my hand. Our next sermon series is going to be an expository series verse by verse through the apostles Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That'll be our next sermon series, but before we begin that study, I've decided to preach just a small set of standalone sermons, each providing biblical answers to weighty questions asked by nearly every person in every age. To equip us as Christians to answer those questions that all of us have had or will have, or other people that we care about will have, to answer them biblically with God's word. Apparently, according to survey, life's biggest three questions are, number one, where did we come from? Number two, What is the meaning of life? Number three, what will happen to us when we die? And I would add why does the line you're always in move the slowest? These questions, except the fourth one, are all answered by God and revealed to us through His Word, the Bible, and the short answers to those questions are from God, for God, and to God. We have been created by God, so we are from God. We are here for God. That is, in short form, the meaning of of life and what happens to us when we die, that is we will be brought to God. We are from God, we are for God, and we will one day be brought to God. Now in my experience, 21st century evangelical Christians like you and me, we are more clear on the answers to questions one and three than we are on question two. We know where we've come from. We can answer that well. We know where we're going to, but but in the middle, between where we've come from and where we're going to, when it comes to questions about the meaning or the purpose of life, Even among Christians, strange answers abound, answers ranging from personal happiness to prosperity, to family legacy, to pleasure, to knowledge, to Be a good person. Strange, understandable, but not biblical answers to these questions we have about the meaning or the purpose of life. It is a giant question. If you haven't asked that question yet, you will. You will at some point in your life, you will feel aimless, you'll feel restless. It will hit maybe when you've failed, or when you have suffered, or when you lose something or someone that is very important to you, or when a piece of your identity is lost, or when you reach a point in your life where you likely have more years behind you than you have ahead of you. You'll ask this question, why am I on earth? What am I here for? What what is the purpose? What is the point? What is the meaning of life? Well, the Bible could not be more clear on the answer. So let's pray together that God's word by his spirit would give us insight today into who and why we are. Our Father in heaven, As we sit beneath your word, we ask that you would please open our ears and our hearts so that both our knowledge of you and our affections for you would grow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be looking at a lot of texts today, but if you're using one of our church Bibles and you'd like to find the sermon text that's on the front of your bulletin, You'll find Romans 14 on page 892. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? The famous author of War and Peace, Leo Tolstoy, he asked it, he wrote, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was... What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Perhaps most famously and of most interest to us as Christians, King Solomon. He asked this question. He wrote about his search for meaning in his book of Ecclesiastes. Before turning to God for meaning, He exhausted every earthly avenue and He came up desperately empty. He wrote in chapter 2, verse 17, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. God is the one who made us, and so he is the one of whom we have to ask this question. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So as we work through this biblically, I want you to picture a funnel, picture a funnel wide at the top, and narrow at the bottom, a funnel that is going to work from the entire world down to Christians and down to you individually. At the top of this funnel is the meaning of life. God's overarching purpose in all of creation. Why has God made all things? Halfway down this funnel and more specific is what is the meaning of your life? Christian, what is God's ultimate purpose for your life? Why has God made you? And why has God saved you? And then at the bottom of this funnel, God's calling on your life. What has God called you? You specifically. Your name. What has God called you to do? How has God called you to spend your life? So we'll begin generally and then work our way down this funnel more and more specifically, looking to God's word for these answers. So let's begin at the top. What is God's overarching purpose In all of creation, why has God made all things? Glory. The meaning of life is the glory of God. The meaning of life is the glory of God. I said it twice. I'm saying it more loudly because it's so important. It's the kind of statement that I hope if you forget everything else in this sermon, that that will at some point in your life ring in your ears and it'll be something that you recall That the meaning of life is the glory of God. God's overarching purpose. The one who made and created everything. God's overarching purpose in all things is to display His glory and to be praised. What is the glory of God? What is this word that shows up some 400 times in Scripture? Here's my definition. Glory is the display of God's perfections. Glory is the display of God's godness. Glory is wherever you see God's holiness. It's wherever you come to know His love, His justice, His mercy, His majesty, His power, His beauty, His grace, His patience, His kindness, and on and on. All these attributes of God. All that God is. Glory is the display of those perfections. So God's overarching purpose in all things is to be seen for who He is and to be praised. That is what everything is about. From the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to culmination, All things work together as a display of God's full and infinite glory. John Calvin wrote, Now the faithful, that's you and me, if you're a Christian, now the faithful to whom God has given eyes see sparks of His glory, as it were, glittering in every created thing. Right? Because this is the meaning of life. This is God's purpose in all things, is displaying who He is, His glory. And Christians have been enabled to see it everywhere and in everything. He went on, this is the most famous part of this quote, the world, has, the world was no doubt made that it might be the theater of divine glory. The universe is a theater that God has created for His glory. Let me show you this in Scripture. I'm going to rattle through a bunch of verses, and I'm doing it on purpose and quickly to sort of overwhelm you. To overwhelm you with how pervasive this point is in Scripture. And we're just looking at a fraction of them. But look, it makes very clear that God's purpose in everything is to display His glory and to be praised. And so whatever other answers we might have about what the meaning of life is or life is all about, they just need to be discarded. Because this is made so clear. Psalm 29.2 To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1. not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. What about the creation of all things? Creation itself displays the glory of God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens Declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What about Israel? Israel, whom God was in covenant with, was for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. What about the Incarnation? What did the angels sing at the announcement of the birth of Jesus? The Son of God became a man, Jesus, for the glory of God. Not first and foremost to save you. You see, this is the overarching purpose. It is to give God glory. Luke 2, 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Like here comes the greatest display ever of the glory of God. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. What about salvation? God saving people. We might be tempted to think that God saving people is obviously about the people He saves. But it is not. God is saving a people, not first and foremost for His people, but to display His glory. God saves people to display His glory, Psalm 106.8. Yet He saved them for His name's sake to make His mighty power known. Christians, He saved us for His glory. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. So he has saved us so that we would praise him. That we would praise him for his glorious grace. How about our sanctification? That is God maturing and growing us as Christians. Our sanctification is to display God's glory. Philippians 1, 9-11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God and the return of Christ. Christ will one day return in dramatic fashion, we are told, and that will be for the glory of God. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. On that day they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at. Among all those who have believed. So here is God doing everything to display his glory, to display his godness, his greatness, his goodness, so that he would be praised. And you could go read the end of every single one of the New Testament letters and see that they each end with something like, To God be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it could not be more clear that at the top of this funnel, in regards to the meaning of life, in regards to the entire world and all of creation, that God's overarching purpose in all things is to display his glory and to be praised. Let's move down and think specifically about Christians. I hope, I trust, that most of you are Christians. And I'll speak directly to you. And we can get more specific. What is God's ultimate purpose for your life as a Christian? You think about the purpose of your life and the meaning of your life. You think about what you want to do with your life, and you think about what you should do with your life. Why has God made you and saved you? Now turn to that text on your bulletin. The context of this verse in Romans 14 is quarreling among Christians. And Paul offers this as a foundation for humility and for love for one another. He reminds them of this in Romans 14 verses seven and eight. For the Christian, none of us lives to himself. and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. and if we die, we die, to the Lord. Paul said something similar in Philippians 1:21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He goes on here in Romans and says, "So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's." That means that Christian, God is your heavenly Father. You belong to him. And you are for him. Augustine wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. God's ultimate purpose for your life Christian, is that you would glorify him. His overarching purpose for all things is his glory, that his greatness would be displayed and he would be praised. And the ultimate purpose for your life, Christian, you have been enabled to do this, is that you would see his glory, that you would reflect his glory that you would praise Him. The Baptist Catechism, the Westminster Catechism, Spurgeon's Catechism, they all begin with the very same question and answer, and it is, what is the chief end of man? And that's asking this same second question that we're asking. What is the ultimate purpose of my life as a Christian? And the answer they rightly gave was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Matthew 5.16 In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. For the glory of God. Well, how do we glorify God? We define glory because that's not a word outside our church that we're going to use very much. It's not a word you hear other people use, especially if they're not Christians. The word glorify is the same way. So, what does it mean to glorify God? To glorify God is to live in such a way that draws attention to the greatness of God. John the Baptist said, He must increase, I must decrease. As a Christian, I must fade into the shadows and God should be cast into the spotlight to live in such a way that draws attention to the greatness of God, not the greatness of me. My life is not about me. It is about God. One author has written, glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect God's greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all His attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of His manifold perfections. Let me make it even more specific and give you three simple things that you can and should do to Glorify God. Number one, enjoy Him. To enjoy God. You do this when you commune with Him. When you spend focused time with God. How do you spend focused time with God? Through prayer and reading His Word. Having a conversation with God where you hear from Him through His written word and you cry out to Him in prayer. And you thank Him for what you're thankful for and you confess what you're sorry for and you ask Him for help with what you need help with. We commune with God. Or you worship God. You do this on your own maybe throughout the week. You definitely do it when you come to your church on Sunday with the rest of God's people. And you enjoy God together. You think about Him and you think about His holiness and His justice and His mercy and His patience and His kindness. And you express your love for Him. You express your gratitude to Him. What are you doing in all of that? You are taking pleasure in God. You are enjoying Him. You are glorifying Him. A second way we can glorify God is by trusting Him. No matter what, when life is difficult, when life is painful, when you are sick, When relationships are broken, when finances are tight, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, whatever it is. When life is difficult, when nothing seems to be going right, when God seems silent, what do you do as a Christian that brings great glory to God In those moments. You trust him. You don't live by sight. You live by faith. God I know that you are great. I know that you are good. I know that you care for me. I know that you have a plan. I know that it is good. I know you have forgiven me. And you trust God. How great, how how much attention does that draw to the greatness of God when everything in your life says one thing, but you say something else because of your faith in God. And when you do, He's glorified. We enjoy God, we trust God, and of course we obey God. We obey God. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? I love you so much. I trust you so much. I will do whatever you want me to do. Even if it means I lose this or I lose that or it doesn't go well for me earthly, I'm going to do it because you are that wonderful, you're that great, you're that trustworthy. We glorify God when we obey Him. And if we want to boil down what our obedience to God looks like, we have that very question answered by Jesus when He spoke to His disciples and brought So many laws before Jesus and said, help us out here. Can you give us a summary? Can you boil this down? What's the most important thing? We love you. We want to obey you. And Jesus said, I'm so thankful he did in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. He said, you He said, two things, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And that term means all of scripture that they had. It all, all these commands, all these rules, your obedience, it hangs on two things right here. To love God and to love your neighbor. So let's make this very clear. What is God's ultimate purpose for your life, for you as a Christian? God has made you Christian and God has saved you For the glory of God and the good of others. He has made you for the glory of God and the good of others. Okay, that brings us to the bottom of this funnel. We've funneled down from the entire world... To Christians, and now to you, what about God's calling on your life? And there's more Christian ease. There's another Christian word, calling. What has God called you specifically to do? You should think about that question. What has God called you to do? How has he called you to live out everything we've been talking about? What does it look like for you specifically? I mean, you want to do Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, which says, look carefully then how you live. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You hear the theme of that passage, you've only got one life. And like we sung about this morning, it might be a long life, it might be a short life. You may have a bunch of years ahead of you. You may have a few days ahead of you. You don't know. But you want to be spent and to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. And what will that look like in your life specifically? Not to just talk about it. Or to fantasize about it. But to actually right now live for the glory of God and for the good of others. Well, I'd have to spend some time with you. And ask a lot of questions. To get to the bottom of what God may be calling you to do. But you can also ask them of yourself. Pastor David Strain wrote, and I wholeheartedly agree with this. When we think about our purpose and we think about our meaning and how God wants us to live and what we are called to do, very many of us fall into this trap of comparing ourselves to other people. Other people with different gifts and different abilities and different personalities and different experiences and different opportunities. And it just—it makes zero, zero sense. But we do it. And it never goes well. It either makes us feel really good about what we're doing and we probably shouldn't, or it makes us feel terrible that we're not doing enough and we probably shouldn't feel that way either. So he said comparisons are deadly in the Christian life. Right? That's different from seeing an example, a good example, and wanting to emulate and wanting to follow that. That's not what we're talking about. Comparisons are deadly. Our calling is simply... To use what God has given us in humility for the glory of his name and the good of those around. It is to use our unique gifts in our unique circumstances as only we can to the praise of his name. So when it comes to your calling in life, what you are on earth to do how you should live for God's glory, it is a lot more about providence than preference. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It is a lot more about providence than preference. In other words, it is not so much what you want to do as it is about what God has designed you to do and what God has given you to do. So two things to consider that all those questions might fit under. Consider first. who God has made you consider your personality, consider your gifts. Some of you are thinking, oh, no, is this sermon going to end with a spiritual gift test? (laughs) It's not. But consider your personality, consider your gifts your abilities, your talents, your resources, and ask yourself, how can they be used for the glory of God and the good of others? How has God designed you? How has God built you? And then the second thing to consider is providence. That is, God's carrying out of His plan in your life. It is the culmination of your circumstances. It is your experiences. Consider the experiences that you have had. Consider what relationships that God has put in your life. Consider what opportunities are right in front of you. So what often happens is Christians when thinking about what they are called to do they think too much about their preference and what they want to do and then they ignore what God has put right in front of them. The people that He's given you to love. The people that He's given you to serve. The opportunities that He's given you to glorify Him. There's a lot of talk about Doing great things for God. Which I'm not sure is even a biblical sentiment. But let's assume it is that we all must do great things for God. We should agree on what great things for God are. It is great to love God with all your heart with all your mind and with all your soul. And it is great to love your neighbor as yourself. You may not be a public speaker. You may not lead mission trips to other countries. You may not write books. You may not be a gifted evangelist. You may not leave an earthly legacy. You may not have abilities or gifts or talents that you can even put your finger on. But you can do great things for God if by great you mean loving God and loving others. Enjoying God, trusting God, obeying God brings Him great glory. In review, in regards to all creation, God's overarching purpose in all things is to display His glory and to be praised. In regards to your life as a Christian, God's ultimate purpose for your life is that you would Glorify him, that you would live for his glory and for the good of others in regards to God's specific calling on your life. You'll have to figure that one out. But do not overcomplicate it. Blaise Pascal said, Small minds are concerned with the extraordinary, great minds with the ordinary consider what god has enabled you to do and who has god has put in your path and live for his glory and for their good now in conclusion there is one problem with all of this and it is sin The world that is designed to bring God glory is filled with sinners. That's the problem. Sinners like you, sinners like me. Remember, this world of sinners, these generations of God haters, God rebels by nature, like you and me. Remember, God could have kept his overarching purpose of glory. God could have chosen to glorify himself by displaying his holiness and his righteousness by condemning the entire world. And that overarching purpose of glory would have been satisfied through the display of God's justice. But God the Father has sent His Son that He may reveal more of His character, that He is not only just, that He is also merciful and full of grace. So God sent His Son. to live and to suffer and to die, to satisfy God's justice, but so that mercy could be extended to all those for whom He died and suffered for. And Christian, Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose from the dead in your place. He lived a life that you could not live to satisfy the law of God, and he died a death that you deserve to die, but in your place, so that you could, what, glorify him, so that you could come to know all that he is and praise him and live for his glory And for the good of those around you. If you are a believer this morning. Then enjoy God. And trust him. And obey him. If you are not a believer. Then turn to him. And be saved. And take time now to think about these things. As we take communion together. To think about who we are. And what we deserve, and what we have been given through Christ. Set aside these next few minutes, put everything else on pause, thinking about the scripture that we've read, what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you about God. I hope and trust our prayer has been answered, that our knowledge of who God is is has been sharpened or increased today and our affections for God have grown. And so now we respond to Him in obedience to Him by taking this bread and this juice that are these symbols of our salvation. Let's examine ourselves the way we're called to in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You're invited to take communion with us if you are a baptized believer, if you've confessed your sin and placed your trust for salvation and the work of Christ and you are committed to a local church whether it's this one or another one that preaches this same gospel. We'll have leaders up front to serve you if you'd come forward and take the emblems and then return to your seat and wait and then we'll all take it together as a church family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for creating us, for giving us life. and We thank you for saving us from ourselves, saving us from sin, from Satan, from death, so that we could live in this theater of your glory and enjoy you and trust you and obey you and give you the praise that you are after. Forgive us, God, of our sin. Thank you that when we ask forgiveness, we know we will have it. And would you help us, God, we pray to be better lights that you would be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.